What's up, everybody? It's Coach Theo, FMU Fitness. Welcome back to the It's Not About Me podcast. We're finishing up my Get Ripped series, Step 6, Dedicate. And if you haven't listened to the first five of the Quick Hitter podcast for the Get Ripped series, please, I encourage you to do so about reflecting, igniting, preparing, performing, eliminating. Now we lead up to dedicating. I really think there's a r- crucial action steps to living a dedicated Christian life to really achieve great things and become the person God created you to be. Today I'm going to talk about my life story when I talk about dedicate. You know, why did I decide to dedicate everything that I do to God? It's really not who I used to be, so I want to be vulnerable today. And actually I just pray right now, I pray God that you just encourage me to be vulnerable, be raw, be real, uh, don't hold back. And uh, I hope that this encourages other people to share their story. So guys, when you hear this story today that I'm going to share to wrap up the bullet points and wrap up why I think it's so important to be dedicating everything you do to God, it's not about the power of what Theo did. I want to share old Theo so you know who I used to be because if you don't know that, then you don't see the power of what God did in my life. And that's what I want you to see is the power of what God has done in my life. And then the second thing is really just so to encourage you because you have a story and everybody has a story. And some of you have been through so much stuff. And your story is so much more incredible than mine. And you need to uh, realize that you need to share that because people need to hear it. And God has done amazing things in your life. He will do amazing things in your life. But if you just keep it to yourself, sometimes you know, you're know you losing the impact that it can have on other people. Okay, So that's the main thing I just want you to take away from today. So what's the point of getting ripped? I mean, why? Why would I decide that it was important to reflect, ignite, prepare, perform, and eliminate? Why outwit your mindset every day to win the day? The truth is life is not about you. I'm going to tell you how I got to that pivotal life motto in a second. You weren't put on this earth for yourself. You are, de- you are here to dedicate your life to something much bigger. Now, I know that's hard to hear. It was hard for me to hear at first, too. You ever see a toddler throwing a tantrum, just shaking and wiggling, uh, uh, screaming and crying and just spastic? That's how I look sometimes, but that's how I look when I first began ingraining this life motto into my mindset and heart. I still get that way sometimes. It's not easy. Uh, But for me in my life now, it's all about dedicating everything I do to God, trying to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, putting others before myself, having the same mindset of Jesus. That's my life verse, Philippians 2, 3. This used to be so foreign to me. I haven't always been like this. I wasn't even always healthy like this. I wasn't always disciplined like this. I didn't care about other people like this. I definitely didn't care about faith like this. Didn't even want to talk about it. I believed in a God but saw nothing but hypocrites in the church and that kind of pushed me away. I just didn't understand how you can walk in on Sunday and leave acting like everyone else. You know, People pushed me away because their faith didn't seem like it was real. Didn't seem like it was powerful enough to change their ways Monday through Saturday. Now, looking back, I'll say that is a that is a cheap excuse to be pushed away from faith because it's not about people. And people are mess ups. And when you become a Christian, you're just acknowledging that you're a mess up. You're still going to make mistakes. It, it, and so it's about your relationship with God. And don't let people push you away from church. I hear that so often of why people don't want to go to church. What I realized was it's not about religion. It's about the relationship with Jesus. For some reason, I didn't understand that when I grew up, But that was my fault. I think God hits you when he wants to hit you. He takes you on a journey on purpose and he'll hit you when it's time. As a typical male, I thought I was going to do it all on my own. 
Well, that didn't work out too well. I used to do dumb stuff, made bad choices, had no direction, and many people would never guess I would turn out like this. I had a lot of life experiences that flipped my world upside down. I want to take you back to some breakthrough moments, but especially the major turning point. So I'll breeze through my childhood. I could talk about that all day, but I'll just breeze through it because I really want to get to the major turning point. It's really about those pivotal years when I turned everything around at 20, 21, 22 years old when I was in college. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio in a full-blooded Italian family. I will say this, guys. My family is the best and we're so healthy. We have so much love. And in an Italian family, family is everything. We grew up in a tiny little house, 900 square feet. Didn't have much, but we felt like we had everything. My mom, my dad, been married, I think, uh, over 40 years. I had such a healthy upbringing. Me and my brother shared the same room our entire life. We had hand-me-downs. We bought shoes from Kmart. You know, it didn't matter. Like, we just didn't think about that stuff. I remember driving in broken-down station wagons, $200 cars, and... When we first got our like real car like in high school, it was like the most exciting thing in the world. But we just loved each other and it was so healthy and I will say that's why I'm so healthy today. There's no drama. We didn't have any trauma or turmoil or tragedies like so many people have with their families or hurt. And we, so I feel very fortunate. I'm so grateful. I thank my mom and dad every day, my brothers and my sisters. We just love each other. Uh, for some reason though, I was the third one. I was the runt. I was the rebel. I kind of couldn't find my place. I wasn't like like my brothers and sisters. And uh, in, in about middle school, I started training hard in sixth grade. And I, you can hear more of that fitness story about when it was all about vanity for me. And I think my first podcast that I ever created. So I think it's called Why Your Faith Needs Fitness. And that's why I'd really talk about my fitness journey more in detail. But I started training in sixth grade and I started getting obsessed with working out. And I started developing these OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder tendencies and body issues and eating disorders, mainly because of wrestling. Uh, so I started wrestling in seventh grade, and this really took over my life for the next nine years. It became my identity, all I wanted to do, but I was obsessed with the fitness and the training aspect. And I was obsessed with my body type. I thought that I was fat, even though I was 103, 119 pounds at most, even my senior year. You know, I didn't think I was ripped enough. I got so obsessed, I would do 100 push-ups to 300 push-ups every single night before I can go to bed. You know, I started doing silly things like just to control whatever. People would call it anxiety. I just feel like I, I hate using that word sometimes, but it was just I was trying to figure out how to control life and make sense of it. And I did things like walking in and out of the room multiple times, opening and closing doors, counting numbers, getting up and down, really like dropping and doing a certain number of sit-ups before I can even eat. Uh, like I said, a number of push-ups before I can even go to bed. It just became like that. I had to work out a certain amount of times every single week. I wanted to feel sore all the time. Wrestling, when you cut weight, it brings you to no body fat. You look so lean, and I got addicted to that. And so here's the thing. In the wrestling world, so many people cut weight. You don't really think of it as a big issue. But when you're constantly doing that, even outside of the season, that's when I feel like you really have got some, some stuff going on. That's why I say I, d I developed some eating disorders, because I was like that all year round for nine years of my life. All right, so nothing crazy other than that. I was just feeding an obsession with working out. Didn't really care much about anything other than that. I don't even know how I made it through school. Uh, wrestling was so good in so many ways, it sort of kept me out of many insecurity traps. I wasn't really worried about hanging out with the cool people or being popular. I hung out with kids that did drugs and some that even dropped out of school and partied, but I just didn't get into it because I was so into wrestling. And so in a way, wrestling kept me on the straight and narrow. I never really dabbed into that stuff until college. Actually, it's my brother's fault. Just kidding, but it was. He was the first person I ever drank with. But he knows. I told him I could not stand 
the taste of alcohol. I was like, why do you guys do this? Because he was in college a year before me. And it only made sense once I got drunk. And then I started doing crazy things. And for me, for the rest of the time that I drank and partied, the only reason it made sense to drink was to get crazy. I didn't understand why people would just drink for social reasons because it tastes like crap and it doesn't do anything. So you have to drink enough to get crazy and get wild and do dumb things. And that's what I focused on. So went to CSU after high school. Didn't really have any options because I didn't care about anything else. And I just wanted to find a school with a wrestling program. I would have went to Youngstown State, which is right next to where I grew up, but they didn't have a wrestling program. So I had to find the cheapest school that had a wrestling program outside of that. It was an awesome experience. I walked on and... uh, and we'll go from there. I'll talk about that in a second. But anyways, I went to school. I drank. I partied. I stole. I racked up a ton of debt. Disrespected people. Messed around with girls. I didn't even know. Mistreated the homeless. I vandalized. I was incidents away from seriously hurting someone or going to jail. I, I was failing out of school and life. I asked Amber how detailed I should be. She said, share some things and just be so detailed. Because again, people don't know who you are. Now, this might get you mad. But when I talk about old Theo, I could talk about how... I could talk about him like he was a totally different person. Like, it's not even me. So even when I talk about this, it's like I'm talking about someone else. So it might get you mad, but I just want to be real because I want you to know. Um, For example, like, we got on this kick where we would go walk around the city because we lived in the city. And we'd go out like 1, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. And we would, I would lead lead the pack to videotape us kind of hassling homeless people. And we would, we would make them fight. We would throw stuff at them. Um, I spray painted homeless people I would I remember going up to this one guy and just spray painting him while he was sleeping and he woke up and I was like dude I'm just giving you pinstripes relax and I just remember seeing his face like what are you doing like why are you doing this to me but I was just so ignorant I didn't have any care I just wanted to be funny I was drunk I wanted to do cool stuff make my friends laugh I would do silly stuff like that man I would harm not harm but like like really hurt and disrespect people I would drop like huge bombs out of our 13th floor uh dorm at cars, at driving cars. I could have killed someone. I would just throw stuff and try to break windshields and try to damage cars while they were driving. Didn't even cross my mind that I can go through someone's windshield and kill them. I was dumb, man. I remember at one party, I just snorted some type of energy pill and uh, got so freaking energized, went crazy, started smashing stuff over my head. What happened was I kind of became the guy that everyone wanted to see. What would Theo do at the party? What crazy stuff would he do? We lived in one house by this huge bridge that crosses over to um, the city, kind of outside the city for a summer. And I remember we'd have parties and I would just get up on this bridge, jump off on the hill with kegs or anything I can grab, steal my roommates like bike and surfboard and, and, and just try to get the crowd going crazy and getting them laughing and doing silly stuff. You know, I was that guy, man. I got arrested. Interesting note. I got arrested one time for underage drinking with a really famous fighter. I'm not going to say his name, but man, just funny to think like where he is right now. He was my roommate in college. I got arrested with him for underage drinking. Uh, I just, again, I wanted to push limits and get people to get it. That was like my identity, the funny guy when he got drunk. At the end of my third year is when I started to hit rock bottom. I received a letter from school. It stated I was on academic probation. And if I didn't get my grades up significantly, they wouldn't even give me student loans for another semester. So my grades were that bad. I mean, I wasn't even going to class for like two weeks. I don't even think my family knows this. And they, I got that letter that kind of was like a wake-up call. Like, you're not even going to get student loans if you don't get some Ds or Cs. Come on, Theo. So I just decided after my third year wrestling that I had to go back home for the summer. Something told me I needed to change the pace. I was supposed to work with my two brothers in a factory where my father worked. But literally the day before I was supposed to start, a friend called me with a work project in the projects for that summer, in the projects of Youngstown, Ohio. 
I know I disappointed my family, but again, something just told me I had to take that job. So I did, and it was kind of a weird job of odd construction jobs. We were in government housing in a bad section of Youngstown. We installed like stair railings, furnaces, painted rooms, and changed heating and air conditioning vents. The job isn't what changed my life. It's what I saw on the job that got me. And this is my turning point. 21 years old, working in the projects of Youngstown, Ohio, knowing that I'm probably not going back to school at this point or finishing wrestling. I saw drugs, I saw crime, I saw violence, domestic disputes, and unsanitary living situations. And what got me was I saw kids living among it all. So one unit I walked into had three little kids sleeping in their diapers on a bare mattress floor on the wooden floor. What irked me was their parents' room was loaded with furniture. Their dad was chilling while he smoked weed in the living room in front of a big screen TV. Outside was parked his decked out Cadillac with decked out rims. I'm not judging people, guys. I'm just being factual about what I saw. I walked into another unit and saw rotten food everywhere. I had to place my feet strategically on the floor as I walked across the room to avoid stepping on dog feces. Noticing that there was children's toys were just, they were just inches away. One grandma shared details with me about her granddaughter being molested by her uncle. She was just happy to finally see her outside playing again. In one, playing again, in one unit, there was a few month old baby sleeping on the couch. The parents were not home. I wondered if I should call someone. Instead, I just prolonged my painting project so I could monitor this little baby on the couch until any adults came back. For some reason, these kids got me. I always loved kids. This was a totally different environment than I was used to. God used one child in particular to pull the scales off my eyes and drastically alter the course of my life. I I never did learn this girl's name. She was five, maybe six years old with brown hair and chestnut eyes. Her mom was a crack addict. This was something she admitted to me as she lit her pipe up in front of me. This little girl never said a word. She was quiet and reserved and barely changed her facial expression from the still face she usually wore. Her mom decided to prove it to me one day when she said, watch this. She won't even cry when I smack her face and just smack. Her big hand went right across that little girl's face. There was no tears. There wasn't even a frown. This little girl was emotionally numb. I stared frustrated and irritated, wishing her mom was a man so I could smack her back. For days, I tried to imagine what this little child's numbness felt like. Eventually, I did have a breakthrough moment with her. One day, I was digging up a piece of sidewalk in front of her unit. She was a few feet away watching, as she commonly did. For some reason, these kids loved hanging out with us all summer. They loved watching what we do, and they would kind of hang and just be observant and and talk to us. As I pulled this slab of cement away from the dirt, I found a yellow toy figurine buried beneath it, and I waved her over as I cleaned it off. I knelt down, reached out, and said, here you go. Looks like we found some treasure. She cautiously reached out with those chestnut eyes looking into mine, and a huge smile took over her face. Now, this breakthrough moment between me and her was about to be the breakthrough moment between me and God. Something swept in and clobbered my heart. I would later learn it's something we call the Holy Spirit. And I went home that night, torn up inside. Everything just finally erupted. I dropped to my hands and knees, sobbing like a baby. I prayed to a God I didn't even know much about. I asked him to help me. I said, show me the way. And I promise I'll dedicate everything I do to you from this day on. I never saw that girl smile before and would never see it again. But that smile helped me realize that there is hope in this broken world. I wanted to find it and I wanted to share it with everyone I knew. Something told me that this hope can only be found in Jesus. This was the beginning of discovering that life is not about me and it's all about him. I'm not sure if the other guy saw what I saw the way I saw it that summer, but I saw a very unfair life for children and it was my wake-up call. Here I was, this punk college kid who was raised better to know better, failing out of college and wasting my life away. It was time to stop sleepwalking and do something about it. 
So long story short, I went back to school that fall. I stopped wrestling, met with my teammate who was a Christian preacher and told him I was finally ready to start listening to him about Jesus. Ended up changing my major to social work, starting working as much as I could. And then I, I quickly after that met my wife, Amber. Interestingly story, it was like New Year's day after that. And I just remember there was no one around and it was probably a good thing. And I wasn't hungover that morning because no one was around to go out with the night before. And I just was lost and confused because I lost my identity. Wrestling was who I, who I was. And if I wasn't a wrestler, I didn't know who I was. And all those questions just started hitting me. Who am I? Why am I on this earth? What am I supposed to do with my life? You know, you lose your community. You lose your friends. You lose your sense of belonging. And you lose all the confidence that comes with it. And so I just remember my preacher friend, my teammate, his, his words saying something like, hey, Jesus is really the only place we can find our ultimate identity. I had no clue what he meant. But he said, you just got to pray about it. So that day, that New Year's Day, I just went home. And that night, I actually prayed about it. But I actually prayed that God would bring me a girl so I can do this new life with. And what's funny is three weeks later, I went to a party I wasn't even supposed to go to and I met Amber for the first time. And I remember just walking in and connecting eyes with her and was like, all right, this is the girl that I really need to connect with. And that started the journey together. We, she was ready to realign her life with Jesus. And it took time because it isn't easy. Like it's up and down. It's a roller coaster when you change your life. I still messed up. I still made bad choices. But together, we kind of pursued Jesus. And she was the one that really smacked me upside my head. No, I mean, literally, she smacked me upside my head when I was drunk one time. And she said, you need to get your life together if you want to be with me. And she spoke life into me. And God uses women to make us man up, doesn't he? I feel like behind every good man is an even better woman. And Amber has been so influential in my life. Like, literally, from that moment on, she taught me how to write so I could do better in school. She taught me, uh, she, um, what was I going to say? Oh, she helped me get straight A's. I got straight A's from that day forward. Took me three years to finish my bachelor's degree. Then I went on, got my master's degree in clinical social work. And because of her, I got straight A's. I never got straight A's in my life. But for the next five years, I got straight A's to finish up my master's degree. And, you know, I remember her just speaking life into me. She believed in me. One day she said, you know, you're one day going to be speaking in front of thousands of people, Theo. I can just see it. Like She spoke that vision over me and I thought she was crazy. I had no belief in myself that that would ever happen. And it's funny because there have been times now where I've spoke to schools with thousands of people in the gymnasium. So anyways, uh, went on, got my master's degree. I, I became really strict though and really radical and that's why I'm kind of weird like I am today and uh, won't even sip alcohol and won't even talk about silly stuff and only want to spread the news of Jesus and I think it kind of backfired a little bit. I think Amber misses the bad guy a little bit. She misses that bad boy. But it hasn't always been sunshine and rainbows and so I just want to finish with this. When you dedicate your life to Jesus, there's a few things you got to remember. It's not always easy. You can't do it alone. It never stops and no one has it all right let me share a few tips it's not easy in fact it definitely gets harder before it gets better i remember sitting in the student parking lot at csu shortly after my transformation began i wasn't hanging with my teammates anymore i didn't live in an apartment on campus anymore everything was new and i was worried about how i was going to create a new identity i just knew that people did not look at me like a serious guy that would make this type of change and this world this word that i really didn't even understand yet kept pounding into my brain redemption you can redeem yourself. Prove to people that don't believe in you. It will take time, but people will see that this is real. Redemption is what Jesus is all about. Comebacks, forgiveness, second, third, 24th chances. And the power is people will eventually see the power of him through the transformation. That's why I'm always convicted, even though I don't want to, but to share my story. So this is why I started doing all these things that I talk about in this Get Rip series. It's not just fluff. 
I had to do deep work from that moment on for years. It's why I started reflecting on my life and who I was and where I was going. It's why I started reading and writing and changing my self-talk, what I watched and who I hung with. It's why I started preparing differently with intention and purpose. It's why I changed the reason why I performed, not for my own glory or recognition, but to get better personally to inspire others so that they can get better and then I can achieve a platform to bring the focus all to God. And it's why I eliminated certain people, environments, time wasters, and situations. It was a long uphill battle. Dedicating all that you do to Jesus does not make things easier, but it makes them possible and worthwhile. There have been so many stories since then. What helped propel Amber and I is having people guide us along the way. So the second thing is when you dedicate your life to God, you can't do it alone. At first, we thought we knew what faith faith was about because we made a choice to believe. That's like the first step. That's like accepting him. But then we started walking in faith and that's when we truly started feeling it every day. We grew in our faith because we belonged to a life group and fortunately surrounded ourselves with people who actually lived out their faith. So church, church teaches you about faith, but discipleship trains you. Meeting people one-on-one, small groups. Two guys in that group in particular taught me so much. Phil Dawson, he was the kicker of the Cleveland Browns. John Jake was my mentor, man, that I have been meeting with almost monthly for the last 12 years. He was at the time a general manager for a burger joint. Him and I polished each other, pushed each other, iron sharpens iron. He's now a pastor at Open Door Church. I also grew, up to, grew close to another guy in the fitness industry, David Jack. At that time, he was a men's health advisor and world-class fitness coach. These guys, This is important to note because these guys were Christian mentors and you need them. These three guys I knew for sure lived out their faith and watching them and listening to them is what helped push me to the next level. So as the story goes, I was the director at a nonprofit after school program. Amber was a preschool teacher. You can hear more about the story in other podcasts. We did a lot of the in-depth of who we were behind the scenes in our Why Number Soar 5 um, series. But our hearts started starting to start a Christian-based, a Christian-based fitness company for kids. And we had no clue what we were doing or how we were going to do it. We just felt convicted. And so Phil, John, D-Jack, they said, if it's God calling you to do it, then you got to go for it. Maybe they didn't take me seriously. Or maybe they didn't think we'd take them seriously, but we did. And Amber was that final voice that just said, you have to, Theo. We had a four-month-old four month at home. Um, she had no income at that time. I dropped my $43,000 salary and we went for it. We started with three kids in the backyard. It's been the craziest roller coaster ever since. I don't think we ever knew we'd actually make a living doing this. We definitely couldn't imagine where we'd be today with sold out classes, massive momentum, evolving and innovating in a one of a kind community in a failing industry. The fitness industry is failing. 90% of gyms like ours will close within two years, and the remaining 10% barely make it to five if they do. And we are not just surviving, but we're doing things non-traditionally, unorthodoxly, and we're thriving. And it doesn't make sense on paper. But I'm telling you, God is the one because we always keep him number one, and we're bold about it. Uh, So it's been faith walking moment by moment, kind of exhilarating, yet at so many times exhausting. We probably would have given up if we didn't have people in our life on the same spiritual wavelength. You need them for accountability and security that you're not alone. Make no mistake, we still make a lot of mistakes. When you dedicate your life to God, number three, you won't have it all right. You will not have it all right. No one does. There was a time we almost got divorced. Many times we wanted to quit. Many times we had no clue what to do. It takes a lot of sacrifice and self-discipline to walk away from an old life into a new one. It takes complete surrendering every day. We pray about every decision we make. Through good and bad, we stay bold that we are Christian, and that's what guides us. And thankfully, we're approaching our 10-year anniversary in a few months, and we are the healthiest we've ever been. 
Just like in the gym, you will not be 100% all the time in your faith. Some days are high, some days are low. The sooner you accept this, the sooner you have more high days because you're not beating yourself up about the lows. Plus, you accelerate change when you're open, honest, transparent, real about it. Repent and confront it. Jesus doesn't ask us to be perfect, only to make progress. And the last thing you got to remember is this. It never stops. Following Jesus never stops. Dedicating it, our time to Him, our life to Him, isn't a one-time event on Sundays at church. In fact, I question why a lot of people even go to church. They don't want anything to do with Jesus the rest of the week. That's not going to help you feel His presence. Like fitness, faith needs exercised if you want to grow. Jesus for us has to be 24-7-365. He's the only. He's in everything we do. We have to be in awe of what He did for us daily. If not, we go back to our old ways and we start to rely on ourselves again. Which means we struggle to do the three Bible basics which are to love God, love others, and make disciples of all nations. When we dedicate our lives to God, we are called to be disciples. Now, I may not be a social worker anymore, but for some reason, God called me to this place for a different reason. In the culture I'm in now, we're dealing with a different, a different type of distraction. We have too much. We're too comfortable. There's a different type of neglect that happens, a different type of loss. It's dangerous because when people think they have plenty, they stop thinking they need God. They become self-reliant. So we're on a mission now to just help pull the scales off of other people's eyes too. To slay their pride, to stay away from the lies, to see where true fulfillment comes from. Not, not from money, not from stuff, not from status, only from Jesus. Now the good news means the work is already done. So you can't earn grace. I used to think it was all about doing good works and being a good person. And that's great. That happens. But grace from Jesus, he died for us. It's a gift that's been given. When he died and resurrected himself, we still have to do our part though. Jesus' brother James said, faith without works is dead. When you truly believe, you naturally start to act differently because there's a conversion in your heart. The last command Jesus gives us before he ascends back to heaven is to make disciples of all nations. That means whatever you do, whether we eat, drink, work, talk, live, it needs to be evident that Jesus is in us, is leading us, is using us. We need to share his story and ours. So those kids in the projects, to my own kids, to the kids I currently work with at FMU, they constantly remind me of my obligation to be an example of what it means to dedicate everything I do to God. That's what gives me purpose. That's what changes my gait when I get out of my bed every morning. And when you get ripped, that's what will happen to you too. Life is not about us, but it starts with us. Maybe you don't want to be the person you are anymore. Maybe you're ready to make a comeback. The good news is it's never too late and you're never too far gone. You can give your life up to God and start dedicating everything you do to Him right now too. All you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart to guide your life. Accept Him as your Savior. Choose to follow Him and then actually do it. It won't be easy. You can't do it alone. You'll never have it all right. Progressing in your faith will never stop. You'll have to share your story and bring others along for the ride too. But I can guarantee you this. When you do it, it will be an absolute game changer for you and everyone in your life. God bless you guys. I pray that you take something away today, that you move forward in a different direction today, act differently today, put things into place today, and that you bring others with you. Share this with someone if it hit you, because chances are it's going to hit them too. It's not about us. It starts with us. God bless you guys, and have a fantastic jumpstart to your new year, 2020.